Hi, I'm Connor Byrne, and this is That's What I Call Marketing, the podcast where you'll hear from the leading lights in the marketing world and listen to their unique insights. Well, today I am joined by Laura Daly and Emer Fitzmaurice of Dublin agency Folk Wonderman Thompson. Laura and Emer have joined me to talk about the family fallacy report that they launched earlier this month. The report shines a light on the modern family dynamic and the growth brands are missing out on by overemphasizing mum, dad, and 2.4 kids. While this report focuses on Irish family dynamics, it pulls in research from across the globe as well as showcasing examples of who is doing it well. So really applies no matter where you are listening or watching this episode. So in this episode, we talk through some of the key findings of the report and for me, a surprising outcome. Don't forget to subscribe to That's What I Call Marketing wherever you are listening or watching. If you enjoy the shows, please leave a rating. And if we can help you with your growth through marketing, visit that's what I call marketing.com and see how we can help. Today's episode of That's What I Call Marketing is brought to you by the Indie List, Ireland's leader for freelance marketing, creative and digital talent. The Indie List provides easy access to hundreds of highly experienced and vetted experts across the marketing services business quickly and cost effectively. You can check out their full range of services at IndieList.ie. Emer and Laura, thanks a million for joining me on That's What I Call Marketing. Thanks, Mel. Great to talk to you today, Connor. Well, listen, before we start, uh, maybe just do brief introductions. Laura, we'll start with you. No problem. So my name is Laura Daly. I'm a Managing Director and Head of Growth here in Folk Wonderman Thompson. We're a creative agency based in Dublin. And we're part of the Wonderman Thompson Network, which will be in the new year branding, rebranding rather to uh, to VML. We've a really wide portfolio of long-standing clients here in the agency. Many big brands, lots of people will know, such as Vodafone, Irish Life, Brennan's, Lidl Ireland, Vodafone, Borgosh Energy, um, just to mention a few. So we uh, really pride ourselves on port leadership as well. So we're delighted to take this piece of research to market recently and happy to talk to you about it today. Brilliant. Emer. Yeah, so uh, I'm Emer Fitzmaris. Um, I'm head of planning here at Folk. Um, so I lead a team of strategists in the agency. So, I mean, my role is primarily to make sure we're always kind of understanding all of our consumers, all the audiences really to inspire great work. So equally really excited to get to talk to you about what has been a long journey to get this report out into the world. So, um, yeah, I'm really excited that people get to kind of read it and see it and, and discuss it, which is exciting. Brilliant. And Laura, you, you touched on it there. I was, go- I was going to ask, are you still called Folk Wonderman? We're able to laugh at ourselves. Don't worry. I know it's advertising agencies, all the acronyms and kind of trying to keep up with it is, is as hard as anything. But uh, yeah, as of January, we will be Folk VML. Folk so VML. more on that the folk will in the stay. New year. You'll still be Folk. Folk will stay. Yeah, we're very proud of our local Irish heritage and roots. So Folk will always stay. Yes, yeah. brilliant. I love, I like Folk. I like what that kind of gets across right kind of like yeah it's nice and colloquial yeah, you know yeah yeah, yeah. understand people yeah we try to <laughs> and you've got exactly. some great you've got some great brand i mean you mentioned some wonderful brands there that you get to work with i mean the likes of i'm a huge like huge fan of a lot of them but like you know borgosh energy is like a phenomenal irish brand you know real kind of you know and they've done such a great job in the energy space brennan's i adore like just yellow I yeah mean, just, oh, i know it's so iconic isn't it, isn't it? <laughs> 
Um, and obviously Vodafone, the great World, Rugby World Cup campaign that you just did. Anyway, we could go on. I don't want to give despite Carl... Despite the results, despite, despite the results, you still did great work. <laughs> I don't want to give Carl Waters a big head saying I really love the creative, but... I know, I know. Uh, he'll be, right, he'll be thrilled. <laughs> well, listen, you mentioned we're, we wanted to chat um, about the family fallacy report that you've just released. Can you just give me a bit about, like, what was the impetus behind putting this together? Sure. So we have, for a number of years, been attempting to, I suppose, remove bias or unconscious bias from our work. Um, it's something we're really conscious of. There's, you know, a certain type of person that tends to work in advertising and marketing mm. in this country and can potentially lead to a number of stereotypes across advertising. So a few years ago, we developed a framework called the Real Ireland Framework, which is essentially, I suppose, kind of a series of questions that we use when we are creating work writing scripts, casting, that really just encourages us to ask questions as we make decisions to make sure we're removing the bias. And that is broadly and has, I think, a lot of the diversity and inclusion kind of efforts over the last number of years have been pretty focused on a lot of things around kind of race, gender and ethnicity, stuff like that. But actually, a lot of the time when we came to the discussions about casting or script writing around families, you know, we had a feeling of wanting to kind of make sure we are representing what the modern Irish family looks like, but didn't feel really totally equipped with the evidence yeah. to do so. That was really why we wanted to kind of start to explore this in a bit more detail, because it felt like we ourselves were kind of living our, like, our, you know, our own true day to day nuclear family and yet that was something we were often kind of placing in our ads and something we see all the time so that was really the trigger for it was let's explore this and you know have the evidence for ourselves but also for our clients I know Laura. Yeah, we were starting to see some of the data coming through yeah. as well from the CSO so we just sort of said whilst that gives you kind of the hard facts as such we wanted to dig deeper and put a, more, a bit more kind of I suppose colour around some of those stats as well yeah. because it's one thing reading a cold but actually how do we then you know take that information and bring us to, to our clients to be able to paint a deeper picture for them you know Yeah and I was going to ask you Laura about that with, with the clients like we were clients starting to ask you about this or were you more, were you trying to get ahead of the conversation? Um, a, a bit of both, but more so I think the latter in terms of, you know, as Emer said, we could, we could see it happening. I mean, lots of different family dynamics across the agency, amongst all our family and friends. And um, so there's something here that we just really need to get under the skin of. So we... Um, we have done a couple of sessions with our clients to take them through it. And the reaction has been super positive. And actually, in many cases, you know, just kind of, again, they're sort of saying, yes, well, I, you know, some great personal examples being yeah. brought. You know, we had a nice roundtable discussion with a group of clients one of the days. And just, again, they were just bringing even further insight. So they're just even delighted to, to be starting these conversations. Yeah, like it's it, it's interesting. And can we get into some of the 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 findings in, in the report. But, you know, you found there was a real disparity between what is shown as in advertising versus the reality. When you started looking into it, did you did you start to kind of unpack how that was affecting consumers? Yeah, I think that was probably, so, you know, apart from, I suppose, kind of the quantitative study to really, I suppose, get the data in, in place, we had a number of focus groups with these different family dynamics. And I think that was the most eye-opening piece for us right. was talking to people about advertising, whether that be single parent families or same sex families or, um, you know, even kind of nuclear families themselves really saying, you know, look, the kind of rosy, happy picture isn't accurate. I think there is potentially what can happen sometimes when advertising does tend to go out of the nuclear family or dynamic, they can often kind of paint maybe single parents as being without or kind of having mm. less than. 
And, you know, there was a, a comment, certainly among that group in particular, that we're like, we're not defined by being single parents. Like our lives are really full and really positive. You know, this is one part of our entire personality and the idea of kind of being ultimately defined by that or that becoming the whole story. You know, they were really keen for us to say, like, you know, we're not unusual. Like this is the normal for us. You know, this isn't like this kind of anomaly, like stop treating it like yeah. it is. So that was, you know, whenever about whatever data we came across, it was certainly the conversations with our audiences that was certainly an eye-opening moment for me and something we were really keen to try and get across in our presentations, in the report, et cetera. So the people really kind of took what we took from those conversations. And when I was reading some of the things that, you know, I I picked up, I'm like, the language, right? So we've words like traditional, okay. non-traditional. Mm. So like, I'm like, that's... That's almost the problem, right? <laughs> like, you know, exactly. It starts right back at, yeah. at that point, you know, because even, you know, what are the one of the kind of areas that we looked at within it as well was when it comes to, um, you know, holiday and even how, you know, hotel rooms are, are sold or whatever, you know, mm. there's family rooms, the, the two adults, two kids options. And in, and in many cases, you know, you're actually penalized for taking a single room uh, financially, do you know? So yeah. it just it just is going to set up wrong from the outset. So, you know, we would hope that... It, you know, the findings from this will help trigger bigger conversations, not just when it gets to advertising, do you know? And that's kind of some of the conversation we've been having with our clients that actually, guys, it's right back at kind of your proposition stage yeah. and product development stage, you know? That's really interesting stuff, isn't it? This goes beyond an ad and how someone might see themselves in an ad, but like how how brands can actually innovate around the findings from this. Completely, because even one of our clients who will remain nameless, but a lovely client of ours was sort of saying, God, you know, even how we sell our family days for uh, the specific events that they have, like we really need to to rethink this, you know, because in many cases, maybe from a ticketing point of view, we just yeah. have a legacy of how we've been set up. Yeah. Actually, we, we, we need to, we really need to help, you know, let these findings inform some of that. And don't get me wrong, appreciate you know, you're not going to change things overnight, but at least to kind of instigate and start having the conversations, I think, with some other stakeholders in her business. I think that the report certainly armed her with the case yeah. to do so, which is brilliant. Totally. And Emery, when you, I guess when you were looking at that or and even getting into this report, did that even cross your mind that that may be an outcome? You know, or was, you know, that we may be actually be able to influence product or solutions that our clients offer beyond just how we change what our ads look like? You know, funnily enough, you know, we were very privileged to have worked on a few clients with with a few clients over the last number of years, kind of on some innovation projects. And admittedly, there was kind of green shoots of this that we started to see even a few years ago, because actually, when you start to discuss products and services and the use of them in homes, the minute you kind of go into people's homes and you start to explore it, you realize nothing is as straightforward, as simple as we would design it to be or like it to be when we talk about it. So I think there was like an opportunity maybe that we felt could emerge from the report. Nothing probably prepared us for the majority of the conversations actually when we've been in the room with clients have, have really triggered a thought of, you know, I want to bring this to our segment team or a yeah, proposition yeah. team or our insights team to really challenge what is that? unfortunately just, I suppose, an, an acceptance of what we think family looks like, but actually it could be way, a, a way broader opportunity for how we, you know, act in service of our audiences and, and create more meaningful solutions for them. You know, there's a whole section in the report about the war on home and the challenges and tensions that are now existing in, you know, numbers of generations living within one household 
that's an enormous opportunity for any utility brand to start to serve solutions for. Yeah, it's one thing. So get into some of the kind of the, 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 the detail of the report. So one of the findings was that traditional family, excuse the language, but it represents 36% of households. But you found like majority of ads that we see out in the market are showing that traditional 2.4, you know, family that, that we're, we're used to. And great examples of, you know, maybe maybe it's holidays and a brochure and you just see the mom, the dad, and all, you know, mm. beautiful, smiley, happy people as well, which is like <laughs> problematic. No dad In the there. first place. <laughs> <laughs> Matching swimming class too. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> but, but that, you've, so you found like a like massive over-representation of that family dynamic and only 36% could really relate to that. Exactly. And I suppose that was the biggest indicator was like, okay, well, we have to ask the question, you know, who's talking to the other 64%? And I suppose fundamentally as well, I suppose that, that there's a massive opportunity there, though, yeah, for yeah. brands and the clients we work with. Because if they feel at the moment that 64% aren't being served, then if we were to do that in a, in a really I suppose, helpful, creative way, then we could unlock major growth for clients within that space. And just to add to that as well, I suppose that, you know, it's 36%, only 36% of households. So mm. actually starting to think beyond the idea, the concept of a family and start to think of the concept of a household that like, you know, of it's of private homes. What's the makeup of that? You know, like, you know, as a, as a prime example, like myself and my partner have no intention of having kids, but we will still live in a household. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that, that. But it's not something that's ever reflected in the types of communication. So really, you know, even in, in one of the conversations we had with one of the journalists that we were speaking to, she said like, you know, I'm a single individual in a household. Like my whole life is centered around me, myself and I. And that is a completely untold narrative yeah. in both the products and services that are provided and in the advertising talking to her. So, you know, it's it's actually, as, as Laura said, this like huge kind of eye-opening opportunity. Yeah, I wanted to kind of ask you about that because um, I was going to come to it later on, but the, you know, the the families or households that, that don't and won't have kids and you know the mm. the choice of that as well being actually a choice do you know what I mean like, that came across to me when I was reading it there seems to be this you know almost slight nod of the head oh you know <laughs> you know right? yeah I know because I mean Alice and I was very open myself with the team when we were talking um you know I struggled to have a family initially um it was something I wanted but just wasn't happening as quickly and kind of that interrogation and actually in many cases it was coming from women as well who you would think might be more tuned into into things but actually it was kind of um you know on more than one occasion it was sort of suggested to me that you know, am I putting kind of my career first right. and, and whatnot? Right. And, you know, in almost an accusatory sort of tone. And, um, you know, as Emer says, she she is one of those people who wants to be child-free by choice. Yeah. And that's the thing. It is a choice. And I think, I don't get me wrong, not in all cases. Some people, unfortunately, aren't lucky enough to have the choice. But, um, you know, I just don't think that people should be treated with disdain. I think it needs to be positioned that actually this is a really positive thing in somebody's life as well. And actually, there's so much they can do. And there's brands that have nothing to do with children that are well-centered people who want to live a child-free life. And actually, you know, brands can capitalize on that. Yeah, mm. yeah. And the, the, the number, like 79% of people in Ireland agree that you don't have to have kids to be a family. Like, that's an overwhelming majority of people. 
I was shocked to see that yeah. because, you know, my experience of walking around society day to day wouldn't suggest that type of statistic. So, you know, it's it's really having finally kind of the data to say, actually, you know, we're we have full permission to present this as the true new normal now. Yeah, yeah. You are listening to That's What I Call Marketing, a partnership with The Indie List, where you will find experienced and vetted marketing talent, people like me, and also people who design and people who write. You get the idea. Check out theindielist.ie. You are listening to That's What I Call Marketing. Do you need help growing your business through marketing? Well, check out our services at thatswhaticallmarketing.com. Get in touch today and see how we can help. It goes back, like it harks back to me if, um, and I'll age myself here rapidly, but <laughs> the days of Glen Rowe when, you know, Diddy oh, and Miley got Miley married and, and then Diddy <laughs> in the pub going anything starting you know and like that was the oh, you know absolutely. the question he's like oh she's like you know but that's and that's not that long ago it's long enough ago <laughs> um, but, but that's kind of the narrative I, I think of you know couple you know you know and then it's anything starting like <laughs> Yeah, completely, completely. And, you know, you just think in this day and age, God, is that even a question you should even be asking, you know? But listen, you know, I understand why historically it's been the case, but I suppose if ever it's just that eye-opener for people that it isn't always the case, guys. One of the other things you talked about, the wicked stepmother trope, I found that really fascinating. Mm -hmm. And you highlighted the reframing of it, which is around the words bonus mom and bonus dad. I was like, oh, that's brilliant. That's such a, you know, more positive way of, of looking, you know, and, and talking about it. And what that tells us, and I think what we felt really passionately about is that, you know, that's obviously such a prevalent norm now. And there's such a positive feeling around being a blended family that like, you know, whether society names these people have not or not, they're going to name themselves. And I think, you know, that signaled to us a real requirement that we need to really be listening to what's going on with that 64%. If they themselves are calling themselves bonus families and bonus parents, that's absolutely the narrative that should be reflected in how we serve their needs and how we talk about them within advertising and talk to them, you know, like the the want to move past where we have been as a society is being driven by people themselves. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not something that we ourselves are, are actually kind of talking about. So that was a real, I think, you know, moment even in the conversations with those people they are really excited about the positive framing of it, you know, and, and they want more people to know that this is a good thing and not a negative. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, the, you know, the, the, I don't know if it's uniquely Irish, but the other thing that came up in the report was the, the you know, the adult child, right? So, the, you know, the adult still living at home. Is that uniquely Irish no. or or do you, have you seen that in other places? I I don't know the exact stats to support it, but I think, you know, definitely given that home owning in Ireland has been the, the cultural norm, I think it's probably more prevalent than that kind of rental culture. Yeah. Um, you know, I think I think it's for, for that reason. But, you know, there was some great work done. There was a, a Westpac example in Australia called Old Flatties, which they were, they, it was just so funny, where there was a household who were, who were renting together in their 70s. And just showcasing that for a financial service product they had. Um, it was just done in a really funny, a funny way. Um, and just have to show that, you know, that is a reality there as well, yeah. you know. Um, so, yeah, it was it was interesting to see. But as Ema says, then it's, you know, yourself, if there's different multiple generations living in the one home, yeah. they all have different needs. They're at a different life stage, you know. So different brands are serving them at different moments in time. One of the things, you know, 
again, going through everything, I was like, how do you get this right, right, you know, in, in your ads and not just kind of, mm. uh, tokenism is the wrong word, but like there's a, there's a, there's no, a risk I know of getting mean. it wrong, yeah. I think, and just kind of saying, well, okay, so we're not going to do this family, we'll do this family. What's your advice and what are the conversations have you been having with clients about kind of getting it right in terms of that part? Yeah, well, I think I think that you know you, you did use the term tokenism. I think some clients are are definitely nervous of, of falling into that territory. And for us, what we've sort of um, you know focused on is that it's actually the human stories um, that are happening within a dynamic. And actually, that's what it's important. And I'm sure our creative work, if we're bringing them to life in a really honest, open, and sometimes fun way, then you know that story can be told in a natural way that doesn't come across yeah. as being. Um, being tokenistic absolutely like I I think look you know everyone is very nervous of being tokenistic Mm -hmm. and I think that particularly comes when you know you're telling you know a story that is somewhat uh, you know maybe a bit kind of more unexpected and then all of a sudden the people that are featuring in it are equally as unexpected and I think that question is is it about you know the story we're telling or the people we're featuring and I think that's often the big tension and you know what I suppose what we've also found is, you know, in some of the ads that are most entertaining and actually, I suppose, most progressive in their portrayal, you know, just because they're telling a story of a particular kind of unique set of individuals, it doesn't make it any less relatable to everybody else. You know, like a, a real human emotive story is going to connect with everyone in some way. And I think, as Nora said, being very true to the really powerful human story and it being a credible kind of narrative for the brand, that's the things to focus on as the fundamentals and you'll avoid featuring for featuring sake I guess that, and that's a great way of putting it featuring for featuring sake is think the way you don't want to get because I think then what you end up getting is kind of just vanilla right like it becomes a smorgasbord of everything we're trying to please everybody we're trying to tick every single box make sure everything's perfect and you know we offend nobody and then you just get into mm. real vanilla territory unfortunately and you know I think lots of us can think of lots of examples where we see that so I think you're you know hitting on that like what's what's the story we need to tell that's going to really connect with people and then they'll connect with that, right? And, and whoever is delivering it. Exactly. Because by trying to avoid offending anyone, you potentially connect with no one. Yeah, yeah. No one, like, yeah. You know, which is the, the greatest risk of, of, of all our time and efforts and certainly our investments, you know? So that's, I think, what we're always trying to avoid. And we absolutely appreciate the level of caution required. And I guess, like, how... Go back maybe to the start of like, you know, how do we normalize this and almost to the point that it, this this shouldn't show up in a brief in a sense of, you know, you know, one of the questions being, what kind of family do we show? Like, you know, how yeah. do we get yeah. that? Well, we kind of, it's kind of the, some of the kind of recommendations that we made on the back support was, I suppose, it probably t- starts first and foremost from an employer point of view in terms of culture you within an organization or we asking ourselves the right questions. So, you know, how do you kind of, prioritize your diversity and inclusion policy or hiring policy, HR, and and including colleagues with different perspectives and different family perspectives, you know, within, as we touched on up front, that kind of proposition development piece so that you are a bit challenging going, okay, is this, is this going to appeal? Is it fit for purpose? And, you know, a lot of organizations are probably well underway with unconscious bias training as well and making sure that that's regular something that we do here in Folk quite a lot as well, just to make sure we're always kind of checking ourselves. But I think it starts way back there. Um, and I suppose it's, it's having that throughout the, throughout the process. As you said, Emer, you know, within, 
within proposition testing, even with some clients where we've developed propositions out, we've tested with those different types of audiences that we may not have done if it was 10 years ago doing the same ask. Do you know what I mean? Um, and then right through uh, the production process um, as well, when it gets down to cast or feature, I think... Um, to, be, to be honest, God, I think we have been a bit more maybe pointy at that point in the process right. to make sure, actually, guys, are, are we being truly representative here? Um, and then, as I say, once we get into our actually uh, comms at the end as well. Yeah. And one thing that we've learned, actually, as a result of, of doing this um I suppose, body of work is that we've also come across a number of um, reports and data that evidences, I suppose, the actual importance of mm. positive portrayal of groups on performance of advertising. So it has given us real permission with, you know, I suppose, kind of having better conversations with clients about why it's important. So there's an excellent report referenced within our own report from Kantar, which indicates that, you know, positive portrayal actually has a, a like nearly a 45% positive impact on the performance of the advertising when done correctly. So, you know, we, we also are very much appreciate that our ads will be better by actually, you know, taking a really vested interest in the way that we're telling our stories to make the ads better as well. So the more evidence we have, the better decisions we can also make. Yeah, I was going to ask That's you about, thing. Sorry, I was going to ask yeah. you about that in terms of the commercial side of it, because the thing that makes anyone stand up and pay attention it's the data and the numbers and commerciality like is this going to be yeah. better for my business absolutely it it does have 40 45 percentage points higher in terms of, of performance and also within that study we saw that advertising the challenges those stereotypes are 25 percent more likely to perform on brand metric on brand metrics as well which in turn turn will have a commercial impact also so i think one of the takeaways for us as well is working with a lot of the research agencies that um work with our various different clients as well on how we can start building some of these metrics in as well and track them over time yeah. because ultimately what we'd love to be doing cutter is in a few years even god five years time sitting here with with you having a conversation going look at the impact that this has driven yeah and Again, I think that goes back to the, maybe again what we talked about before is like not just in an ad, but in product and proposition, all the all the areas of a business that can it can have an impact. You've lots of great examples in in the report. Who do you think is doing it well? So I think there's a, there's a, a handful of advertisers doing an excellent job, but there's lots of room for everyone to do better. I think one particular piece that stands out, you know, for me um, was Ford, um, who have done this like really, I partly indulgent, but really phenomenal 16 minute film on this kind of story of a family going through divorce and actually the role that the card plays through these kind of moments of conflict. And it was this moment in time where we saw the work and thought, God, no one ever thinks about the what happens to a product when a family is going through a divorce. And this place that has once been the kind of home of joy is now actually kind of taking part in an enormous conflict. Um, but it was the storytelling throughout the whole piece and, and a very raw, real version of what families go through. Well, you know, you know, we're not perfect. We're proud of some of the progress that we've made. Um, Irish Life Health is one of the examples that we would have included as well and that we've um, launched there recently. They uh, came to market with a proposition to support female health 
So the whole spectrum, right back to kind of pre-period stage, right through to menopause. And, um, you know, we would have done that in a really nice but progressive way uh, with Irish Life Health as well. And they've already just seen really, really positive results on the back of that campaign and lots more exciting work to come on that next year as well. Um, But yeah, the report really is, you know, we're proud to bring it to market, but we also, you know, want to use it as a bit of a rallying cry to a lot of our colleagues and peers across the, the the industry, you know, we we're we're more than happy to kind of share the findings with anyone. We're kind of done some sessions with um with uh, our sister agency Group M because one of the kind of key things that landed when we were uh, doing a client roundtable session was media agencies guys need to know this as well mm. because they buy if you think of how they buy housekeepers with kids yes, yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of audiences as well like that's a quite a traditional now don't get me wrong I, I know that buying has, is massively uh, much more sophisticated than than it used to be but those terms are still yeah. used to this day do you know yeah. and those audiences are still bought um so it's good to be able to I suppose you know bring it into different uh, different sectors as well it's Brett like it's and you know, it's very, it is very progressive. I think that, you you know, you, you, you took the time, you said a lot of time <laughs> to get to this and, and <laughs> dig into it and, and push the conversation. Because like with all these things, and we talked about this, it's making everyone better. Like this isn't just a yeah, Wonderland thing. This isn't just for you, about you. Yes, it's going to benefit you and your clients brilliantly, but it's about us as an industry doing better and and raising the bar and we've you know you've seen you, you've talked about it there's evidence that says it will make your work more effective you know yet yeah, these are all things we we all want so you know it's, great. it's a win-win for everybody yeah, really it really you know? is and it's you know and I, you know I was, I was going to ask you know what what can somebody do with this but actually I mean as we've talked there's there's so many small simple things that that a marketer can can do but if they want to if, if someone listening wants to go and kind of dig into this a bit a bit more is there somewhere they can go and find out more detail about the report yeah absolutely so if they if they go to our website um and um, there is a link there and they can express their interest and we'd be more than happy to to have a conversation and share the report no problem brilliant brilliant well look it's it's a fantastic thank you for sharing the report with me i really enjoyed reading it i thought there was just incredible incredible insights of course but just action that you can take from it and you know as we've talked about here it's not about just kind of ticking a box and saying right we've got a different family in in this ad it's going back to the start it's thinking about it and and again as you said the opportunity for for businesses to think about how they show up not just in an ad but in what they offer to consumers is phenomenal and this is you know driving people to think about that um and the commercial gains for it like we're, like we're in a commercial business so is there so yeah this is it this Absolutely. is it the more people that you can connect with the greater the opportunity is and really we're you know we're trying to be as much in service to that as we can brilliant Emer, laura thank you so much for joining me uh really delighted to go through this with you i yeah, appreciate your time great Connor. thanks for having us Frank take Canadian. care bye bye <laughs> Well, I hadn't expected when we started this to hear how this report is driving change across businesses. Well, started out as something that was looking at how families are being depicted in advertising and pushing for change there, has the potential to have a much further reach and impact in a business. Thinking about the products, how you position them in the market, really has incredible impact. And as you heard from Laura and Emer, while yes, this is something that helps position folk as a thought leader they really want to help elevate the work we are all doing. So do get in touch with them 
folkwt.ie will get you to their site. But for now, until the name changes, I guess. Well, that is it for today's episode. Don't forget to subscribe to That's What I Call Marketing wherever you are listening or watching. We are on Instagram. That's What I Call Marketing. You can get all the videos on YouTube. That's What I Call Marketing. Twitter, that's underscore marketing. And we're on LinkedIn as well, actually. Yeah, that's what I call marketing. If we can help you with your growth through marketing, visit that's what I call marketing.com and see how we can help. Thanks again to the Indie List for their support of this show. If you need experienced, excellent marketing talent, go to the indielist.ie. Don't go anywhere else. The indielist.ie.